Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm trying to sound like Anthony. I cannot fool you guys. This is Gabriel Lopez Cafati going in for Anthony Corona this afternoon. I am uh, very happy and challenged to be doing this. <laughs> but um, Anthony uh, put a lot of soul, energy, effort, and love into this show, into all of his shows, but particularly this one because it's such an important topic, uh, voting, accessible voting for our community, especially in a year where we are facing uh, so many important decisions at the polls. And um, he, unfortunately, he had an emergency travel and he's, as we speak, in the road somewhere in the middle of rural Maryland, traveling from Virginia to New York to uh, finalize his move down to Florida and officialize his Floridian status. So uh, without further ado, I, again, I'm proud and happy to uh, uh, fill in for Anthony. I have, I know I have large shoes to fill, uh, but I am not alone. I uh, am thankful to be joined uh, in the moderating team with uh, Cheryl Cummins and uh, Clark Rockwell both from the Northeast. I'm sorry, Clark, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Is it Rockville or Rochville? You are correct. Like a falling rock, it is Rockfall. <laughs> Rockfall, okay, there you go. And um, just to give everyone a quick rundown of uh, who all is joining us, uh, we have a very, very robust panel of amazing knowledge and so much experience in the arena of accessibility and accessible voting. We have Mr. Jim Crott joining us from Florida, who has been actually working on accessible voting for as long as we can all think. Um, and we finally got some important victory. And Jim is going to start us off talking about that. We have Sheila Young, on behalf of the Florida Council of the Blind, she's our president, and she has also been working next to Jim uh, since she came to become our president. Um, we have, and I'm sorry, we have such a large and, and, and amazing panel that, I, that I'm hoping that my memory serves and I'm not going to miss anyone. We have uh, Mike Godino from New York, who's also been very, very involved with accessible voting up there. Um, we have from California a good amount of people. We have beginning with Mr. Jeff Bishop, who is making us the honor of streaming live for Sunday edition today on ACB Radio. Um, we have uh, Artis Basin and Jeff Tom, who are also matter experts in accessible voting um, in the California region. Uh, we have Lynn Coral, who has also been working on accessible voting and did some interesting things up in Alaska and also in uh, different parts of the Northwest. And uh, 
finally we have a treat. Um, Michael Malbert is going to be, um, at some point during our show, is going to be giving us a live demo of Omni Ballad, which is a product from uh, Democracy Live, which is becoming very, very popular and very, very uh, in the forefront of accessible voting. So without further ado, uh, this show is not structured uh, in such a way that is going to be uh, very formal. Our panelists are all uh, experts, not only in voting, but also in public speaking and panel participation. So we are going to kick off with Mr. Jim Crod. Congratulations on the recent victory. Could you tell us a little bit, Jim, about the story, the history behind accessible voting in this uh, state of Florida, this infamous state of Florida? Every time it comes to elections, Florida is looked upon as the ugly step this child it's step true i go back to the to the days of the hanging chad uh -huh. 2000 election bush v gore yes i remember it oh so well you know um in uh, john lewis's last essay on his death uh, he said about martin luther king he said each of us has a moral obligation to stand up speak up and speak out when you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. Well, I guess that's what happened to me 20 years ago when I was standing in a polling booth with a person, a poll worker, to fill out my ballot, and that poll worker said uh, something, and I said, excuse me, but under Florida law, I'm entitled to a second poll worker to witness and he screamed out over a lobby full of about 300 of my coworkers, he doesn't trust me, he wants a witness, and started my fight for accessible voting wow. in Florida. Um, we, um, we've been fighting for the last two years to get Florida to do something with accessible absentee or vote by mail voting. Um, it, it was a long process. Um, there were a lot of snags between Democracy Live and uh, the Division of Elections. They went around and around, back and forth, in and out. Um, finally, in May, um, it became clear that the road to accessible voting in this state for 2020 was not paved with good intentions and needed something to jumpstart it. Um, uh, a group of five FCB members, including myself and the Florida Council of the Blind, uh, thanks to uh, our able leadership of uh, Sheila Young, um, filed a lawsuit um, against the Division of Elections and 67 Supervisors of Election. We did this by intervening in some lit lit litigation that had been pending for the better part of uh, three months at that point. Um, and we intervened in that litigation and really did it so that we could pull up and separate out the issues relating to accessible voting for blind and disabled voters. Um, 
Ultimately, the night before calendar call for the trial, the Division of Elections tried to moot themselves out of the lawsuit by finally certifying the equipment, um, the system, the omni-ballot system for use in Florida. Um, but that left no implementation. There were no rules promulgated to uh, assist in implementing, and there was no mandate that the counties uh, use the Democracy Live program. Um, we continued on in our fight. We ultimately went to med mediation and resolved the litigation in the following less than perfect but excellent um, manner. Um, the supervisors were not willing to agree to a November 2020 launch statewide. Um, they claimed there was too much pressure on them with the election, with the huge amount of mail-in ballots they were going to have, uh, and they just couldn't possibly implement a new system with such little time left between um, the end of July and the beginning of November to, to launch it. Um, we felt that we had less than a sympathetic judge. He was much more inclined to listen to the whining of the supervisors and probably did not exhibit a willingness to jeopardize the intrusion into the electoral process. So we kept all of that in mind as we set out to find a meaningful road down the middle. Um, what we agreed to accept was a pilot project in five larger counties in Florida. Uh, the counties are uh, Miami-Dade County, which is the largest county in Florida, um, Volusia County, Orange County, which is Orlando, Volusia's Daytona, Nassau, and Pinellas counties. That would be in time for the 2020 uh, general election. Uh, by March of 2022, all 67 Florida counties are required to have accessible uh, vote-by-mail system in place. It can be omni-ballot or it can be something else. At this point, the only system that's applied to Florida for any kind of certification is Democracy Live. So I don't know what anybody else is going to come up with, but they certainly have the flexibility if that's what they want. Um, there will be a statewide tax task force to develop uh, regulations and procedures for implementing statewide accessible VBM, and finally, we were successful in getting our attorney's fees paid. So all in all, the litigation was successful. Um, the other organization seems to think that it wasn't because we didn't get um, ballot return. Ballot return means that you use the computer to return your ballot if you vote absentee. That's computerized voting, and this state is far away from accepting it. Um, I don't think it was ever on the card table for us. Um, now, like with everything else, we've had to hunt and pack and pick to get what we get in Florida. I think eventually we'll have it, but it certainly wasn't something we were going to have now. Um, there's complaints that we have to sign the um, privacy envelope. Um, so they can verify our signature. Uh, I frankly don't think that's 
an undue burden. I think that the, we would expect our supervisors of election to have a way from double-checking our our ballots to make sure they weren't uh, fraudulently being submitted. Um, so I'm not uh, upset by that requirement. Um, but that's what we have in Florida. I'm excited to have worked towards it. It was hard fought. It was uh, tough to get. Um, but I think we have a, a roadmap and a game plan in Florida. So with that, Thanks, uh, Jim. I'll... Um, Clark and Cheryl, please uh, feel free to jump in. Um, I'm just going to uh, go over a little bit of the logistics now that Jim has given us just the beginning of what I know is uh, a road ahead that we have here in Florida. Um, and I say the beginning for many of us, but uh, as you heard, uh, Jim and so many others have been fighting for decades. And this is, I, I think this is something worthy of celebrating. It is, it is not perfect, uh, but it is certainly uh, a huge, huge, huge victory for our community here in the state of Florida. And um, the way uh, I think we're gonna go around uh, the table since we have such a diverse panel composition from different states, uh, if anyone has questions for each other, um, we know that you may be echoing the questions of our audience here on ACB Radio. So please feel free to uh, throw your questions at each other. And uh, and if you have something else that you think may complement or you have an experience that is comparable to what uh, each other are saying, please feel free to just jump in. And like I said, Clark and Cheryl, my co-host, uh, please uh, feel free to help me uh, move it along with, with any questions or comments. Go ahead, Clark. Yeah, th thank you, Gavin. This is Clark, Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the National Office of the American Council of the Blind. So thank you for the opportunity to co-host with you today, as well as for bringing together this uh, expert panel. And I'd like to first make a comment about the work of um, Jim, and I know we have Sheila Young on as well in the Florida Council of the Blind, and then ask a question for some of the panelists as well. Um, so first, my comment in Florida, and like Jim mentioned, there was a um, negotiated resolution where in the, the short term for the general election, there'll be a pilot program of the Omni Ballot by Democracy Live for the five largest counties. And, and I, I think some folks might look at that as, you know, as not as big of a win as some other states are seeing, right? Um, so other states, they have settlements in place that have rolled out a, an accessible system statewide. And many of those have been done um, not by going in completely through the court process, but through settlement of a preliminary injunction. And the agreed upon terms of those settlements only impact the next election. In many cases, um, throughout the spring and summer, that would be the, the primary. And some states are starting to look at preliminary injunctions that will only impact the general election. Um, so in, in the short term, having it statewide seems like a bigger win than only a, a five-county trial. Uh, but then what Jim said is uh, a key point of this, uh, the settlement that they have in Florida 
and that following the general election, there'll be a, a blue ribbon committee set up and it'll include experts from industry, from the state, from the disability community. And there will be a statewide solution in place by March of 2021, excuse me, March of 2022, impacting the next federal election. So, and that's, that's guaranteed to have a, a statewide system in place. Many of these other states still need to go through the trial process so they could wind up with something as good. They could wind up potentially with something not as good or, or nothing at all. It still has to be determined. So I, I commend um, Florida for reaching a solution that serves um, as a test bed for now, but also provides a roadmap to a statewide solution in the future. And then my, my one question then what I want to ask, and this is for primarily for Jim, as well as Jeff, Tom in California and others, feel free to chime in as well. Um, Jim, you mentioned that you began your voting advocacy uh, during the 2000 election, and we all know how, how well that went in the state of Florida. Uh, but also the Help America Vote Act was passed in 2002. And the Help America Vote Act uh, requires an accessible ballot marking device in every polling uh, uh, station across the country. Um, but I'm curious, why do you think the Help America Vote Act or HAVA was silent on accessible absentee balloting or vote by mail? Well, uh, I'll go first and then I'll be glad to let Jeff uh, take over because he's much more of an expert than me. I think that absentee balloting wasn't as thought of as um, as the precincts. There just wasn't noise about it. But let me back up by telling you that I'm ashamed to admit that in Florida, we had a requirement of accessible absentee ballots on our books since 2002. So our supervisors were required to deliver uh, accessible absentee voting from 2002, and that shows you how much attention wow. they and the state of Florida paid to it, why there was no statewide RFP or other mandate to enforce accessible vote by mail until we started screaming and yelling about it. I have no idea, um, but there wasn't. Um, clearly now that COVID-19 is here, um, I thought COVID-19 was our savior to get a statewide system in place for 2020, but unfortunately what it became in this state was more of a crutch that supervisors were so worried about the onslaught of a huge amount of absentee ballots that um, they weren't going to be able to handle that and at the same time gear up for uh, a, a statewide uh, launch of, of accessible VBM. So it didn't help us as much as I had hoped it would. So this is Jeff Tom. I'll chime in a little bit and, and maybe artists or others can, can sort of supplement. But I, I think that we were so concerned about having any solution that was totally private and independent at all, that when we started getting uh, voting machines, whether they were of the electronic variety or whether they produced a paper ballot at the end of the process, we were like, oh, everybody has got to go use these because this is our mode of operation. 
even though a lot of our members were saying, hey, we want an accessible absentee, we, we sort of didn't put the, the advocacy into that. And I think it was really, other than a, you know, a couple of states like Oregon that, that had vote by mail, and I think it was when vote by mail really started coming to the forefront in a number of states, which, um, was, which occurred, I think, for two reasons. Number one, more and more people were voting absentee anyway, and they wanted to use the mail. And number two, uh, the local jurisdictions and the states began to realize that vote by mail was just so much cheaper than having to have all those precincts. And so when vote by mail started becoming something that a number of states were really, um, you know, using as a preferred option, then, of course, we all of a sudden had to shift our advocacy, which we really should have done sooner, uh, to make sure that the vote by mail option was also accessible. So I guess that's my sort of answer. The other thing, this is artist, artist Mason from California. Also, a part of the issue was that when they started stressing vote by mail accessibly, uh, and they were talking about lessening the number of voting precincts when we did accessible vote by mail. And so that caused a rise in the people who didn't want to close any of the precincts so that really hurt our efforts with accessible vote by mail because people wanted it both ways they wanted to have all the precincts open but they wanted accessible vote by mail so it ended up being a, a compromise uh it had to go through the legislature the the secretary of state wouldn't uh, deal with it and so they had to go through a couple measures and initially it was just uh allowing counties that were willing to do it, to try it, and then it took a couple more years before we got the law that required all of the counties to have accessible vote by mail. So it was a long process. I know I was on the state uh, board, uh, the state accessibility board, and I know a lot of people were concerned about the security of election too, was, was a big problem with the whole accessible vote by mail. I want to throw one other perspective into here. You were asking why in 2002 didn't we didn't we address this? Um, if memory serves, the first implementation of WCAG, which is the Web Accessibility Standards, didn't come out until 2008. Um, and I believe we were still fighting battles about accessibility in web browsers. Like now, you can run Chrome and you can run Firefox and you can run Edge and you and uh, uh, you know, the Mac and Android, and you can be assured that your screen reader is going to work with those browsers. Um, but back in 2002, you ran Internet Explorer. Um, you know, maybe you could run Firefox. And well, I shouldn't say maybe you could, but I just I don't think all the pieces were in place back then. This is Lynn uh, Corral. And I want to say that um, when we talked about we talked about this in 1999, uh, with one of our members who live in Haynes, Alaska, because he wanted large print ballots. And that's how it started. But it took one of the problems that we have to really understand here is that it really depends on the leadership uh, in terms of your uh, county, your city. Uh, Anchorage uh, put me on, I was put on a committee in about 20, 2016 before I left on voting accessibility for the uh, municipality of Anchorage. And they were looking at mail-in ballots then, but I think that when we um, had the first law passed, the first statute passed in 2002, in March 8th of 2002, um, 
there we didn't really think about verifiability as much as independence and that people couldn't steal our vote like in a small uh, county, a small city like Haynes, Alaska. Can I uh, change the course of the conversation to hey, something perhaps? Michael, that's... could you identify yourself for the folks here? So that well, you just did. My name is Michael. Um, no, my name is Michael <laughs> Malver. Um, for people, because I see Florida at some point it, in some ways as an end game, like they did it. They may have a pilot program, but they did it. So mm -hmm. for people who are in states that don't have accessible voting and who are thinking, I want to do something, what can I do? Um, and I'll start with me, but what do you see as things that are tangible and doable? Um, for instance, in Minnesota, there's an unofficial committee put together a few times a year by the Secretary of State, and he gets people with disabilities together and seeks input on voting issues. And so that committee brought to his attention accessible vote by mail. Sadly, we still don't have it, but he's well aware of it. Um, we have pieces of legislation that have been brought up in Minnesota that were authored, interestingly enough, initially by the Secretary of State, um, but I got involved with them because the legislation initially asked that the ballot be accessible to screen readers, and I wanted to make sure that it used more general language about WCAG. The point being, um, there was a legislative angle, and I was able to uh, call my representatives and, and say, here are some bills, and, and please support them, which, since we don't have accessible vote by mail in Minnesota, clearly has not yet been done. Uh, but my point is, uh, so there's two things I did. I, I talked to this committee at the Secretary of State level, and I talked to my representatives. I'm wondering what other experiences you have had with advocacy, and what points did you make to bring home the importance of accessible ballots? And I'll just open this up to everybody. So this is Jeff, Tom, and I'll talk about, um, as artists began to a little bit, the California experience since I was a CCB advocate um, on that. And, and first, I want to just, for those of you who may be a little mystified, and, and maybe this doesn't need to be said, but the real difference um, between a traditional voting state, where you have absentee ballots and you have precinct, and a vote-by-mail state is, as artist has said, that in a vote-by-mail state, you either have, in some cases like Oregon, no precincts at all, or in most cases, very few vote, well, they're called voting centers, not precincts. They're called voting centers. And you might have, you know, one for every, I don't know, 10,000 or 100,000 people, whatever. But, but, and you either go to those places, wherever they're located, and they might have early voting, they frequently do, or you mail in your ballot. So that's kind of the difference. And that's why vote by mail has become so attractive is it saves money on having all those, you know, poll workers and all those precincts open and all it's an expensive proposition to run elections and people like it. They like to do their ballots um, from home and not go into these, you know, you know, polling places. So in California, um, those things came together about five or six years ago. And we uh, and there was a move by the Secretary of State and the whole voting community to allow but not require counties to have vote by mail. So we latched on to that 
um, you know, CCB did and, and Disability Rights California, our uh, protection advocacy agency and other disability organizations. And we all worked together along with um, the attorney who had represented us in various voting rights cases um, to say, look, we've got to have a, you know, a ballot marking requirement, an accessible ballot marking uh, requirement. So um, we, like Florida and like Ohio and like a number of other states, weren't able to get the ballot return. Um, in part, it's because elections officials don't like um, ballots to be cast in any kind of electronic means, whether it's online like we want to do or even using electronic voting machines like some states still do, um, they want a paper ballot. And in fact, in California and in other states, that piece of paper that you print out and you sign the envelope and you send in is not the ballot. That has to be scanned in by an elections official and become and then becomes a paper ballot that is cast for you. Um, and it's a legal distinction, and I think it's a stupid distinction, but it is an important distinction for elections officials because they don't recognize that piece of paper you send in as a legal ballot. So, you know, we got what we could, like Florida, it, it isn't the best. We'd like to get legal return uh, for, 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 for ballots. And it might be tough to get it because until we overcome the bias of elections officials, but getting back to Michael's point, we took advantage of a legislative effort. And then um, within a couple of years, an artist was very much a part of this. Um, well, first, I should say the, the ballot marking system was essentially the type of system that um, veterans and others could use as well. They got the uh, they got the opportunity to use it. And so then. We came along and said, okay, it shouldn't be just in vote-by-mail counties. It should be in all counties. You have just a regular absentee vote you're casting. So we got it for the whole state. And so we took advantage of the legislative opportunities that we had. And I've talked far too long. Jeff, let me just, though, clarify. This is Michael Malver. That whereas some states are implementing a system... Uh, that uh, that they maybe need to implement from scratch. You bought into existing infrastructure, correct? No. In other words, the yeah. infrastructure was being passed by the legislature, and we helped to create that infrastructure and to impose that legal requirement that there be an accessible ballot marking system. No, but what I'm asking is the ballot marking system existed in an inaccessible form for military people, and you guys were able to retrofit accessibility into it is that um it was made by the, the same company the same company that does this one also does the military voting okay and they just had to adapt it so that it could be you know uh, downloaded for disabled people and make sure it was totally accessible and i know i was involved in checking the accessibility of the system and making the changes to make it accessible but it was available it's just that it had to be you know, updated and made more accessible. Ah, I, okay, I, I now I, I understand. And this is Clark. I'll just add because, Michael, this question is near and dear to my heart, so thank you for asking. And Jim Crott also spoke to this during the advocacy boot camp from the virtual conference and convention. 
Um, when doing voting advocacy, I think that the first thing is to become educated on what voting systems are available in your state, how you can currently vote, and what um, current laws and regulations allow, both federally as well as at the state and local level in your jurisdiction. And then it's also important to network with other organizations, whether that's the state affiliate for ACB or the national office, um, to seek information, guidance, uh, and build a coalition. Also great resources are the the PNAs, the disability rights organizations within each state and territory to understand what has been done previously, um, what other groups are looking for, and to see if you can build a a stronger coalition because our voices are always stronger when there are uh, multiple organizations, multiple individuals uh, raising the same issue. It, it grabs more attention. And then we also need to know where, where we want to go, right? What's the, what's the end solution that we have in mind? Um, if there is a negotiation or a compromise, what are we willing to accept along the way? Um, so that's like high level of voting advocacy. And then I'd, I'd also point out that um, Jim and Jeff and others have talked about the actual um, tactics involved, right? Um, so, to, so to achieve accessible absentee voting or remote absentee voting, it's possible, possible to be done legislatively, it's possible to be done through litigation, and it's possible to be done through administrative channels. Um, so we've, we've heard about the litigation um, from the work being done in, in Florida, as well as the pending cases that the uh, ACB of New York, the North Carolina Council of the Blind, um, ACB of Virginia all have pending right now. Uh, Jeff spoke a little bit about the litigation in California, excuse me, the legislation in California. And I know uh, Kim Charlson will be joining Cheryl Cummings tomorrow night on a community event to talk about the legislation that the Bay State Council of the Blind worked to pass in Massachusetts just this year. Um, uh, also, I'd point to uh, the work that was done last year leading up to this winter in West Virginia. And they signed an accessible uh, absentee voting act that or bill that even allows for electronic ballot return in West Virginia. Um, and then the administrative route. Um, many states would like either litigation or legislation because then it's something they don't need the political will to do on their own. But let's be clear, federal law says that elections need to be made accessible regardless of what state law says. So it's, it's within their power to do so if they have the will and uh, the right advocacy behind them to make that happen. Yeah, um, and this is Cheryl. So I, I want to actually get a little bit down to the nitty gritty. Um, I would love somebody who has had the experience of voting, an accessible mail-in voting process to maybe tell us step by step what what happens and how does it work um and cheryl this is clark i think uh mike godino might be a good person to start with since we haven't heard from him yet okay well oh well i'm i'm here 
And um, I've been doing this quite a long time also. I started way back in, in 2002 um, as a member of ACB when I said, you know, we're going to get one bite of this apple and, and we need to make voting accessible now. So um, I really worked hard to um, make things happen in, in New York State. And New York State actually, unbeknownst to them, actually have uh, a law in place that will be implemented at the end of this year, January 1, 2021, that will allow folks to receive accessible sample ballots, i.e., it's an electronic ballot that's going to be a sample ballot that folks will be able to read. And um, all they have to do is open that ballot that will be accessible on a sample level to actually allowing folks to vote on it. So I, I don't know what the issue is in New York State moving forward, that they had to um, create something for the primary two months ago and now move forward with something new that's going to happen in November and then something new that's going to happen after that because it already exists. What, and, is, the what is the accessibility that they're willing to use? Well, they, 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 like many other states, New York State actually certifies on the state level through their uh, Board of Elections. And then the counties, all 62 of them, implement their own um, accessibility programs. And they've looked at different stuff. I know that in New York City, in the primary, did use the Democracy Live product. Okay. And uh, they, uh, it, it worked for the folks who used it. Uh, whereas many of the other folks around the state were unable to make their systems work. I know that several of the members of New York State um, reported on what issues they had um, and uh, made it available on various um, means of uh, Internet. So I know if folks are real interested in it, I know that... Um, um, uh, Maria, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, Maria Kursik uh, wrote something up because she she voted on uh, the accessible program that was implemented upstate in one of the counties, and it didn't work for her. And she wrote up why it didn't work for her and why she was choosing to go to her uh, polling site and vote. So what we have truly um, needs to be implemented and it needs to work. I know in Virginia, we want to see something that's going to be fully electronic. Um, I'm not sure that folks are familiar with the iVote. I'm not. I've never seen it. Um, I know that the um, election officials here in Virginia are looking at that. I'd surely like to see it, but I've used the um, OmniVote and it works. I've used the accessible system. It will, it's the equivalent of the OmniVote, which is now the uh, accessible sample ballots in New York State in many counties. And it's always worked every time I've, I've used it or tried to play with it. Um, but as far as accessible voting, I don't know that there's anything out there right now um, that folks are using. So, Let me uh, interject, if I might. This is Jim Crott. And going back to Michael Malver's <clears throat> initial question about what you need to do and how you need to do it. Um, first of all, if my um, if my um, boot camp uh, presentation is is still up on um, 
the um, podcast, um, acbvoices.org. I urge any of you to listen to it. Um, it tells you what we did in Florida, not that it's the only way to do it, but I think what I want to tell everybody on this call that's listening is relationships are really key to whatever you do. Um, Michael, you mentioned relationships with your legislators. Those relationships are extremely important, but you need to take those relationships and move your presentation to a task force on disability voting issues to actually getting on that task force, to actually becoming a mover and a shaker, to meeting with your, with your state officials, to basically get in a position where you can ping pong ball back and forth um, the vendor and the, uh, and the state. I mean, the reason that we were finally able to make something happen in Florida is we were able to get ourselves in a position where we had a relationship with the product that was seeking certification with the vendor. We had a relationship with this division of elections director. We had a relationship with some key supervisors, and we were able to, to put all those together and make those relationships pay off. Um, I went to the supervisor of Miami-Dade County, whom I did a favor for 20 years ago, and I said, you know, I did this favor for Miami-Dade County in a different role when I was in a different um, vocational position. And I said, but I need you to do me a favor. I need this county to become one of the test counties for the pilot project because then other counties will listen. You have a reputation. And I put everything on the table. And I was able to parlay that relationship right into something that was a hard, cold fact. Relationships really do matter. And how you play with those relationships and work with them is extremely important. You're well on your way with your moves before the legislature. You're well on your way testifying before the task force. I did all of that. Now you need to go to the next level. This is Artis. <clears throat> I just wanted to um, jump into that remark as well. I know one of the things that every person that is blind should consider is being part of your local uh, voter with disabilities uh, committee in your county. I, there are some of the cities also have them, but if you become part of your local VOC, then you have the opportunity to speak out on all kinds of voting issues and all kinds of things that need to be more accessible to people, outreach, etc. So you can give comments on, uh, numerous amount of things. Also becoming involved in your statewide um, VOC, because if we get blind people on these committees, then you have much more access to talk to uh, local officials everywhere from your election officials to your statewide legislators. And you have more clout because you can say, I've been working with them on these issues. And this is important to me and to my community. And I think that's the first step every blind person should consider this is becoming involved. This is Jeff, and I just want to commend artists. You know, she didn't say it, but 
she worked with the Secretary of State's advisory committee for a long, long time. I don't know how many years, but um, and that was really a, a, an important entree for CCB. The other thing I just wanted to add in terms of getting involved is that you should. One of the things you can do when you um, are have a relationship with either your county or your Secretary of State is that whenever the Secretary of State or a county is going to test a system, they can you can be one of the beta testers and for accessibility. And that's very important because you know the, it's very common for them to do that sort of thing. And the more actual blind people that are getting on there and testing it, you know, the better it is. So I would encourage you to find out, you know, in your state who has control over that, you know, who within the your secretary of state's office or your county registrar voters or whatever, and make sure that you and your, your affiliate or whatever are part of the testing system. Um, so this is Cheryl and, and um, I would really love maybe Jeff and Artis, since you guys have been in a voting system that has had accessible mail-in ballots for a little while, if you could give us uh, some ideas about what that process is like. So, because I've heard you talk about, you know, maybe answering the ballot using your computer and, and then having to sign an envelope to send it back. And um, I, I'm a little, little mystified. So if you can clarify things and help me understand, you, are you mailed a ballot? And this is, this is Michael Malver, and, and maybe this is where I can jump in a little bit here. Um, uh, actually, hold on, Michael. Before you do that, I think I really, truly would value hearing from Jeff and Artis about um, sort of their experience. And then, yes, I think it makes total sense for you to then jump in and do a demo of the Omni ballot. Um, first of all, if you want to vote by accessible vote for mail, you have to make sure that the county has your um, email address so they can email you a link. And then each person is sent a link with a specific code that you have to enter into the ballot in order to fill it out. You fill it out and then you need to print it into a PDF document. It goes into PDF and then you print it. And once it's printed, you have to put it in an envelope and then sign the envelope. I know there was a lot made of on the leadership list about it's not totally accessible if you have to sign the envelope. But I know in some counties they put punch holes beside the signature and so you can actually find it. But if not, I mean, it's still pretty simple. If even if you live alone, you know, just to verify that your signature is in the right place, you know. In, in fact, in California and in other states, too, I think Ohio, I think uh, one of our members was saying Ohio had the same requirement that they actually require you to have these holes on the envelope. And the same is true of California. In fact, another requirement that California has, which I think is very important, is that if your signature is not identifiable to the election official the, in, in your county, the election official has to call you and give you a chance to verify your signature. And I think for us, that's an extremely 
important requirement. I know I had my ballot refused one time for that reason um, before that requirement was instituted. And um, I haven't actually had that requirement uh, since then. Or, I mean, I haven't actually had that problem since then, but um, I'm sure glad it exists because I think that's important. But still, you know, you could be sending them a blank piece of paper and you'd never know unless somebody looked at it. And that it, that is really, even though it, it is doable to sign that envelope when there are holes there to sign between, um, you still risk sending them a blank ballot or a screwed up piece of paper or whatever. So it isn't and fully so, accessible no matter what. Yeah, and, and so the envelope, do you get that because they know you're a registered voter? So in, what type of, um, and is in it just California an anyway, what is it? yeah, that's a good question, Cheryl. Um, in California, and I think this is probably the case in most states, you get that uh, as part of your regular um, ballot that in a vote by mail county, everybody is going to get, or in an absentee county, you get if you request it. And, but then there's also, in California at least, provisions whereby if you want another ba ballot envelope, you can call the registrar and or, or pick one up at voting centers and, and get an envelope. And then you can either mail it or in a vote by mail county, you can drop it into very, the, they have these, you know, voting boxes and you can drop it into those. So there's different ways of casting your vote um, in, in some vote by mail states. I want to add, this is artist again, when you, to make sure that your ballot is printing, you can test it. Um, with another, print something else first, and then call Ira or somebody else to make sure it's, your printer is printing correctly, and then uh, print your ballot, and that way you're much more less likely to have a Audio. problem with the ballot, you know, being printed correctly. And if you if you didn't want someone to see your vote, you could also use something like the um, oh, what's the Microsoft app? Seeing um, AI. Thank you. Landscape or whatever. You know, yeah, you could use something oh, like CNAI CNAI I, yeah. to yeah. at least know that there was sure. text on the page. It might not read sure. it perfectly. And this is Clark. Because we're uh, part of this conversation is about uh, registration and ballot delivery, at the ACB National Office, we've heard from some folks who are doing uh, accessible absentee voting advocacy in their states and some of their Secretary of State's offices are what are some ways that we can verify that only voters with disabilities are using this system? Some states are suggesting that there needs to be verification of a disability. Um, so I'm curious of the folks on the call, what do you think about those policies and does your state do anything to verify that you're a voter with a disability to use a remote accessible voting system? Well, in California, Oh, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say this quick. In California, we were lucky because it was pretty much a, of a done deal, and nobody really um, fought it in terms of the all the advocates in the vote by mail legislative process that self certification would be permitted. Um, so we don't have that problem. That's pretty much the way it is in Florida. That problem hasn't yet arisen. I will tell you that with respect to our accessible voting machines, 
Um, we fought long and hard to get a provision in our legislation, in our recent legislation, that allows the voting machines used by disabled voters to be able to be used by anybody um, because they're uh, optical scan systems. They just use a different card stock than a full piece of paper. Uh, and we got that provision in there. So my argument first and foremost would be you shouldn't have to differentiate between disabled voters and non-disabled voters. Secondarily, as we've alluded to, the Omni ballot is a system that started out for use by overseas military voters, and therefore it's clearly usable by others. So again, there's less of a reason in my in my mind to um, isolate uh, or um, identify as separate uh, the voting system for disabled voters. Awesome, thanks. Uh, this, this, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been quiet. This is Gabe. I've been so quiet because I'm just mesmerized with the amount of knowledge, experience, uh, information, uh, progress that has been made and continues to be made. I want to make a logistical pause just to give everyone a breather because it's, 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 it's a lot of good information. So I propose, and uh, Cheryl and Clark, as my co-host, please feel free to chime in. I propose that we ask Mr. Jeff Bishop if he wants to entertain us with a small break and plug in um, a little promo for ACB or our affiliates, and then open up our second half of the show with uh, the demo from uh, Michael Malbert and the Omni Ballot. And then uh, how about if we focus the second half of the show on now that we have gathered so much information, so much history, so much experiences that I'm just, like I said, I'm, and especially me being naturalized in, in this country and have, having only had the chance of uh, started voting since 2016 um, to absorb and digest all the information, the history, the experiences, uh, definitely my my absolute respect to all of you and all the work that you have been tirelessly doing for all of us, uh, the disabled community. Um, so in, in, in recapping what I've been saying, uh, how about if we talk on the second part of the show after uh, Michael gives us uh, the demo of the Omni ballot on what to expect in the future, both short, future, mid-range, and long-term. And so what are some of the practical things that all of you experts can give us and all of our listeners out on ACB Radio? What can we do to not only benefit from all the efforts that you have been doing for decades, but what can we do as advocates, as individual advocates, to add to that fight that you have been holding for so many, many years. 
California, Florida, Iowa, Texas, guide dog users, students, IT professionals, government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention and operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, welcome back. Today's all about voting. And uh, for those of you who are just joining us on this uh, second half of the show, it's uh, Gabriel Lopez Capati, Cheryl Cummings, and Clark Rockville filling in for Anthony Corona. And uh, we have an amazing panel. We're going to continue talking with our voting experts, accessible voting experts, in the second half of the show. Um, and we're going to hear what are what advice we can get from them uh so that we can all contribute in this uh in this effort towards fully inclusive and accessible voting for all americans so uh we're going to start off as promised with uh michael malbert michael are you ready with the demo Audio now the and yeah uh i'm ready i awesome. have my voice synthesizer a little slower than some people might like but i figure if we have people who are new to screen readers or you know new division loss listening in i i don't want to be playing yeah, something absolutely billion or, a minute. or or even sighted people who who just <laughs> who just, sure. whenever a sighted person listens to my screen reader they they ask me if it's talking chinese or russian or something like that <laughs> um you know i, I want to point out before i do this demo there's been a lot of talk about accessible vote by mail and and it's near and dear to my heart. Um, but I think it's important to emphasize that although accessible vote by mail is, is uh, new, it certainly isn't going to replace going into the polling place. And, and I, I, I just want to take a minute to put people at ease who might think, well, gosh, I don't want to, I don't, I still want to go to my polling place. I still want to make sure that I have an accessible machine. And, uh, in this conversation today, we're not by any means talking about replacing them or, you know, I, I don't want you to Absolutely. people to fear that in in talking about this new and exciting stuff that we're doing, that the old stuff is going to go away because it is evolving as well. And going into the polling place is just as valid a way to vote as voting at home. Um, having said that, what I want to demonstrate for you is a possible vote by mail solution. It is made by a company that I've been working with for a while now called Democracy Live. Um, as artists pointed out, the way that the system would work, you would register with your elections official um, to let them know you wanted to vote absentee. There would be some sort of process put in place to let them know uh, that you needed an absentee ballot. And then you would be emailed a link uh, Desktop folder new uh, list new Google Chrome share. Oops. Uh, Google GitHub. Google Drive. Google Cloud. That's gold with Google Chrome share. All right. So we're going to launch Google Chrome, but we're going to pretend that we launched it from an email. Blank. Page has four regions, three headings, and seven links. Welcome voters. Link skip the content. Font size colon. Link decrease font. Link increase font. Navigation region heading level two. Main menu list of two items. Visited link home. 
Link contact list and navigation region and main region heading level 1 welcome voters. This site will allow you to mark, review, and electronically return or print and return your ballot to your local elections office. Please follow the prompts below to begin the balloting process. Heading level 2 accessible absentee ballot. Continue button. Continue. So I just want to point out before I continue, there was a lot to unpack there. Um, but if, if you're a large print user, we have font adjustment things that you can do. And uh, since I am using the screen reader and web browser of my choice, if I wished to hook up a Braille display, um, either because I personally like Braille or, or maybe I'm a deafblind user and Braille is my only way of interacting with the computer, um, the, the display would show this stuff just fine because it's using your web browser and your screen reader. So let's hit continue. Continue button. Welcome voters dash Google Chrome main region. Continue button to activate press enter. Voter lookup dash Google Chrome. Voter lookup. Uh, so this is the part where we would put in our credentials. First name stuff. Which is, uh, hold on just a sec. Last name stuff. Land. First name star edit type and uh, I am blanking. Hold on, let me Blank do month this. One date one year two 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 thousand nineteen ninety nine. Um, last name first name star. Let's try this. Last day combo bot year combo continue but okay. So that was first name last name and then like a birth date is what I put in. Voter lookup. Ballot marking dash Google Chrome. Heading level one ballot marking. So now I'm going to use my arrow keys so that we can hear what's going on, what we have. Your ballot is presented below. To mark your selection, click on the checkbox. To remove a selection, click on the checkbox again. To vote for a qualified right dash and candidate who is not listed on the ballot, click the checkbox beside the right dash and space at the end of the candidate list. Doug Hall, Doug Hall has left the meeting. Doug Hall, Doug Hall has joined the meeting. The people leaving and coming are not part of the accessible ballot. Then type the candidate's name in the space. Heading level 2 official ballot. Heading level 2 election colon omni ballot demo election. Heading level 2 ballot style colon test ballot. 1 of 5. Click an option to make a selection. To change your selection, click your selection again to deselect and click on another option. Link skip to bottom. Heading level 3 for U.S. Senator. Vote for not more than one. Three checkboxes. So again, it tells you how many things you're going to have in this election, which is for Senator. Santa Claus checkbox not checked. Ebenezer Scrooge checkbox not checked. Left parent, right dash, and right parent checkbox not checked. All right, so I have two choices, Santa Claus or Scrooge, or I can do a write-in. Santa Let's Claus checkbox not checked. Left parent, right and dash, and right parent. We will... Two of five. Link skip to bottom. Go to the next contest. Heading level three for representative to Congress. Vote for not more than one. Four checkboxes. Amelia Earhart checkbox not checked. Charles Quochuk quote Eager checkbox not checked. Charles Lindbergh checkbox not checked. Left pair and right dash and right Charles Lindbergh. So I'm going to vote for Charles Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh. No, you know what? I want the other Charles. Charles Quochuk quote Eager checkbox not checked. The check press. 
Sites. Um, the ballot. Data says. Sites. Um, the ballot. Data says. Dialogue. OK button to activate. Press space bar. Oh. Sites. Um, the ballot. Data says. Sites. Um, the ballot. Data says. Dialogue. Dialogue. Warning. This was not selected because you tried to overvote. Please uncheck another box to be able to select this. OK button. Ballot. So if you try to vote for more than the number of things that you're allowed, it gives you an error and you have to uncheck Amelia one of Earhart, Charles quote, sites dot on the ballot data oh, says, oops. sites dot on the ballot data ballot marking, Charles Lindbergh checkbox checked, Charles quote, check quote, easier checkbox not checked. There we go. Check. Okay, so now we have a vote for that contest. Left pair and right that three of five. Let's see what our next contest Link, is. Skip the top heading level three city council. Vote for not more than two. So we're going to vote for two. Five checkboxes. Johnny Cash checkbox not checked. Elvis Presley checkbox not checked. Dolly Parton checkbox not checked. Left pair and right dash and right pair and checkbox not checked. Left pair and right dash and right pair and checkbox not checked. This was a little disorienting for me. You noticed two write-in checkboxes, and that's obviously because you could choose to write in both candidates. So since we haven't done a write-in, left pair and right dash and right pair and checkbox not checked. The check checked. And then we'll hit tab. Left pair and right dash and right pair and edit. Type and text. And oops, hold on. That's uh, my bad. Just a minute. Virtual. Uh, and we just heard the edit box, so I'm going to go up. Left pair and right dash and right pair and left pair and right dash and right pair and checkbox checked. Left pair and right dash and right pair and blank. And edit. that's where we write in. So let's vote for me because it's my demo and I can. Left pair and right dash and right pair and checkbox not checked. The check press. Space. That's the second write in that I. Uh, Le left pair. Dolly Parton checked. Let's vote for Dolly. Left, there we left, go. Pair, left pair and right dash and right virtual. Now. Four or five. Link skip to bottom. Heading level three for city waste director. William McDougall checkbox not checked. The this check time I'm just going to tab. So I'm going to check, check him. Left we'll pair skip and right dash and skip to bottom link. Heading level three article one. Vote yes or no. Chapter I, Section 103 of the Votersville City Charter be hereby amended as follows, colon, Chapter 1, Incorporation and General Provisions, Section 100. You get the gist. It's a lot of text, and I'm not going to have us listen to it all, but we vote yes or no, so I'll hit tab. Yes, checkbox, not check. And we'll check, vote check. yes for it. No checkbox, go back, but continue. And then there's a continue button. Selection review dash Google Chrome, heading level 1, Selection review. So now we're in selection Your choices are shown below. The heading level two official ballot. Heading level two election call. Heading level two ballot style colon test ballot. Heading level three for U.S. Senator. Santa Claus. Change button. Link skip to bot. Heading level three for representative to Congress. Charles Lindbergh. Change button. So I'm not going to read through all of this, mm. but essentially you get each contest and there's a change button. If you want to, you could click it and, and change your response. Change button. Uh, I'm going to just use the button thing to get to the next. Change, change, go back, continue button. So here's our continue. Print your selections, dash Google Chrome, heading level one, print your selections. And this is the print screen. Print selections button to activate so print selections. Print cancel button to activate presenter. Cancel button. 
frame. Hit the width button. To and this is the standard print screen at this point. This is where you select your printer. Can save button. More settings um, button collab. Just to make things a little disorienting, my default printer is PDF, so it shows save instead of print. Um, but I'm going to stop here because at, at this point, you've you've done what you need to do. Um, you would hit print. You would pick up the paper, you know, put it in the envelope and, and sign your uh, sign the envelope. So thanks for letting me demo. Thanks, Michael. We definitely I enjoyed <laughs> that uh, demo. I myself worked uh, in a different capacity with uh, mm -hmm. Democracy Live years ago, and and I um, I, I know their products are, are really 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 good. Um, I really enjoyed that uh, that demo, especially trying to figure out. And I'm not gonna get political, but those of you who know me know where 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 I'm going with this. I just wondered uh, which where which party corresponds to Santa Claus and which party corresponds to Scrooge, <laughs> but that's okay. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, I got, I have, this is Cheryl, and I've got to say this is really um, informative because I think when I've heard of the, of Democracy Live um, and, you know, there have been papers written about the lack of security, etc. Um, I think those refer to the fact that you're voting during the entire process electronically. Um, but it's, it's, it was helpful for me to know that there's the option to fill it out and then print it up yourself. So I, I don't know um, if officials know about that because they um, are, or maybe I should ask this in the folks who already have um, accessible mail-in ballots. Sort of what has been your response to the intense concern about security? Because that's been, I think, thrown Good at question. sure lots of people who have well, been trying to advocate for it. In Florida, the security concern um, did arise, especially in our litigation. Um, but the security concerns that have been voiced are with respect to the ballot return function. And this state was not a state that chose to include the ballot return via electronic return option that Democracy Live does offer, but not an option here in this state. We're far away from, quote, email voting. So yes, it was a concern, but it wasn't a real concern because we don't have um, electronic ballot return. This is Artis. In California, it was also brought up in even getting the ballot. People were concerned that uh, somebody else could use your form and it could be used multiple times. But the, the way it works is you enter your, your name and uh, your information, and once it's used, if it would be used a second time, right away it would show a flag up that you're multiplied voting, and so that would be automatically any second voter using it would it would be thrown out. Just like when you get a a uh, vote by mail, any other person would get one. If you want to decide to go to the polls, you have to bring that absentee ballot with you, otherwise you're gonna be voting provisional. So it's got the same uh, 
cover up, you know, type thing as for any security. So I don't think it should be a worrisome project. Now the return, they don't allow that in California either. There's no remote return of the ballot. And this is Clark. Um, there's been a, a recent joint report from the Department of Homeland Security, the Election Assistance Commission, um, basically staking out the federal government's position that electronic ballot return is not safe at this time. Uh, but that said, uniformed and overseas citizens have been able to either um, electronically fax or email or return online their ballots in some states for more than 10 years. So this is, this is not too new technology, although the recent concerns of um, online and electronic election interference from foreign powers have really cast a, a shadow, a very dark shadow over this technology. And the, the political um, arguments have entered the, the policy realm on this issue as well. But regardless of the, the security of electronic ballot return, um, a question for Michael, since you were just dem demonstrating Omniballot, and folks who have in the past electronically received and marked your ballots um, when you print them, how does your ballot compare to the ballots that voters received by mail? Meaning, would you be easily identifiable as a voter with a disability or would you personally be easily identifiable by completing a unique and different ballot or does the ballot look and have the same um, size, shape, texture, format as the vote-by-mail ballots. This is Mike Didino. Uh, that was one of the problems with New York during the um, primary. They had to print, well, resize, print, and hopefully they, they ended up with a ballot that was close to what they had um, at the uh, polling sites. However, the polling sites were using 11 by 14 sheet of paper. And I don't know how many of you own a printer that will print out an 11 by 14 sheet of paper. So uh, that was one of the issues that came up that uh, privacy is granted privacy and, and uh, is granted by the way your ballot looks like everybody else's. However, if you started resizing and printing a ballot, your ballot became identifiable to the people counting those ballots. And that was a real issue. So well, I uh, go ahead, Jim, and, and then I'll I'll ask a very gonna, basic. I was going to say that in Florida, um, one of the things that I want to end with, but I, I I won't go quite there yet. But one of the problems when we got accessible voting machines in every precinct was the utilization of those machines, and those machines would be used by three, four, five, eight, ten, fifteen voters. And so how much anonymity did you really have if when they ran the tabulation, they go, oh, well, there was only two voters on that machine. We know who they were. They were uh, Jim Crott mm -hmm. and um, Gabriel Lopez Cafati. So, um, you know, you didn't really have anonymity because you didn't have the volume of use on your particular machine, which is yet another reason why we advocated 
so strongly for everybody having the same right to use the same machine so that our machines could be used by other voters as well. Um, but it, it, it's all it's it's all certainly an issue. This is Lynn. I know that um, when we talked about this in the early days, in, in, in 2002 uh, or even 2000 when we were talking about this issue, that a lot of the Democratic legislators were concerned about security, and that's why in 2003, um, my own uh, legislator at the time, uh, Les Scarra, uh, made sure that the voting output would be paper verified. But the fact is that we know that these machines could be hacked into, and that has been a problem with security. Thanks for Mike. addressing those questions. In, Go ahead, Mike. In 2002, um, I was, well, 2002 through 2012, I, I was <clears throat> working at the uh, Cross Disability uh, Network, and uh, I actually had to go um, to task with them uh, because they were agreeing on stuff that was not um, totally independent and uh, became identifiable over time if we chose that. And I'm very happy to say that, uh, unfortunately, it's not made anymore. The Automark was um, a machine that allowed us to get the ballot off the pad of ballots and stick it into the same uh, ballot tally device that everybody else was sticking theirs into. So uh, it was a pro product that worked and uh, maintained our anonymity through the whole voting process. So we, it's really the only one, I think, right now. Audio now unmuted. This is Michael Malver again. One of the things we're dealing with in Minnesota is uh, that there is a a machine that that uh, some people would like to see certified that prints a ballot in that would look different from the ballot that everybody else uses if you go to a polling place. And uh, so in addition to trying to get accessible voting and new machines certified, we're needing to argue that there is technology out there that can print on existing ballot stock and and we feel it is imperative that that kind of thing be used because in a county with only two people, even if you got 20 people, oh, I see what you're saying. If you had 20 people use that machine, then you'd get 20 different looking ballots. But if you had a machine where the ballots didn't look different, then it wouldn't matter how many people use the disabled machine because you wouldn't identify their, like you may know that three voting people voted who were disabled, but if their ballot looked absolutely the same, you wouldn't be able to, you know, unless you really went through some shenanigans, uh, identify them. So this is Jeff. And just to sort of have a take a different spin on it, um, the machine that you have may be the one that, that Florida was using. Um, I personally would rather have had that machine than the one I'm voting on because the one I'm voting on, the English and the other languages too, I'm sure, is so poor that there are times I can't even figure out who the candidate is. Um, and it is so slow and clunky that it took me like twice as long to vote on that machine as it used to on the automark. So, you know, I, I think it's, I, I, I am all in favor of the idea of having anonymity, but I'm much more in favor of the idea of having a good machine that enables me to easily and, and you know, a accurately vote. 
Yeah, those are all very, very valid points. I, I have a, uh, I have a question of, uh, my own and it's the, it may take us back to the basics, but like I said, um, I, I, I hope that, uh, at least towards the last, you know, half hour of, of the program, if we could, um, uh, just, just throw out some, some very, very practical tips that you guys have collected, because this is valuable. The information that you guys are sharing with us is gold and, and it's, and it's for, for people like myself. I consider myself such a newbie. Um, I, like I shared before, I was uh, naturalized in 2015 and I went head on and participated in the 2016 election. Um, so my question is, let's, let's, let's get a magic wand and say COVID disappears. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll happen at some point without the magic wand. But, um, COVID aside, um, I know that one of the things that have been instilled in me by many of my mentors here in Florida, like Jim Crotty here on the call, Paul Edwards, Sheila Young, and so many at the national level, um, Dan Spoon and um, others, um, is be visible. Go out to your polling center so that people know that blind citizens vote and that you know to support the fight uh that 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 we are that we are opening towards accessible voting so COVID aside how how does all this i, I know that we had to shift gears into accessible mail-in vote but how is this going to affect once once we like i said once COVID is gone how is this going to affect if we want to re reshift our gear back to accessible in-person voting? So well, this is Jeff, and I'll, I'll go ahead, Jim. Um, I guess um, one of the the sad parts of my voting advocacy efforts over the last twenty years has been a general apathy amongst blind and visually impaired voters. Um, we have fought for accessibility. We fought for accessibility in the polling place. We got it. We're now fighting for accessibility in the absentee balloting situation. Nothing, and I mean nothing, is more sacred, nor fundamental than voting. As, again, Amen. returning to John Lewis, ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America by getting in what you call good trouble, necessary trouble. Voting and participating in the democratic process are key. The vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent you have in a democratic society. You must use it because it is not guaranteed. You can lose it. Folks, if I leave you with nothing today, let me at least leave you with, I don't really care how you do it, what extraordinary means you undertake to do it. It is so critical that each and every one of us vote in this election. It is so fundamental. It is so key. And voting and being 
able to vote in numbers does make a difference. It does count. And it's only going to continue to open the doors and broaden the horizons of where we go with continuing our fight for truly accessible, independent, verifiable voting. I'm off my soapbox. This is lit. I want to say, by the way, I totally agree with you, Jim. I do think that that is why, um, and it wasn't just, you know, uh, in, in Alaska, um, basically, it was a Republican who brought this to our attention about the voting by, you know, he wanted to vote as a, a visually impaired person. I do think that um, it's very important. We, we consider it a very important issue. We tried to get people talking about voting since like 1995 to our conventions. And before we had the particular division of elections, a director that we had, Janet Kowalski, come to uh, talk to us. And one of the things that I think that we haven't talked about at all is that when you uh, mount a legislative effort, because uh, as, as uh, I believe uh, Jeff said, it's either legislative, administrative, or uh, litigation. Uh, we chose the legislative route because we thought, and, and, and administrative, it was, it was on both fronts, because we believed we couldn't get any legislation passed unless the administration was on board. And until we had an administration who would meet with us before the uh, legislative session began in 2002, uh, we had four legislative staffers and one and the Division of Elections Director come to Anchorage, meet with me, and we talked about what we wanted to see in the legislation that, w- that eventually passed. And I do think that um, if we go back to in-person voting, the reason that it's so important, Gabriel, is because people see that blind people care about the issues that everybody else cares about, that we understand the balloting process, that we understand who, who's running, or at least we try mm-hmm. to get ourselves informed about who's running. One of the things that's really upsetting to me right now in Washington State is I don't know who's who here. You know, I haven't learned yet. And I'm always the one that used to tell other people how to vote because I knew who was running. You know, like my dad and everything in Florida, like people I knew. So I'm feeling a little bit uh, upset about it. Not, actually, my son tells me he wants us to do it together so that he can learn who's who. But I'm usually the one that tells, understands how to vote, what the issues are, because we have to be not just voters, but we have to be informed voters. And John Lewis is right. People died and fought for the right to vote. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. And I'm going to, and oh, sorry, Clark, I, I was I was just going to say a couple of things and hand it over to you and Cheryl for the last portion, Clark. Um, so I, I just to echo Lynn's, Lynn's uh, and, and Jim's sentiments on, on the power of, and the uh, passion towards voting. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I was, uh, like I mentioned, I was involved uh, heavily in the uh, 2016 political race. I was um, working for one of the major political parties, and um, and and I was doing all sorts of things: phone banking, voter registration, canvassing, um, and 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 I and I had marked that Tuesday on my calendar, and I was going to wake up at 5 a.m. and get my SES and go to the polling center. And my campaign manager told me, "You're crazy. On election day, you you need to. That's the day that we need you the most. You need to go and vote, do early voting." But I said, I'm not mailing. I'm, I'm going to the polling center. He tells me, go ahead, go to the polling center, but go not on election day. That's the day that we have to work the most. So th- that's how passionate I am. I was I was excited and I still have 
on the wall of uh, on the door of my uh, bedroom, I have the sticker that says I voted uh, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> so can I have? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead, uh, Jeff, and and uh, and I know Clark and Cheryl are gonna take it from here after after Jeff. I just want to recognize uh, that I just saw um, a, a very very familiar name, so I'm gonna go ahead after Jeff talks and before Clark and Cheryl take it away for for the wrap up and the practical tips. I just saw a name pop up on the uh, Zoom with a raised hand, and this is a name that many many of you know, uh, very very near and dear to me here in florida um doug hall and nancy hall are also great advocates so i'm gonna unmute doug and i'll allow you know recognize Doug to to speak right after jeff and then clark and cheryl please take it away so go ahead jeff and then i'm gonna unmute Doug. i'm gonna do this really fast because i don't want to take other people's time um but i want to have not a different point of view but but something that is is a little bit different i think we all need to uh, to change our behavior as quickly as we can. Well, not all of us, but if we can change our behavior, because I believe that voting online is the wave of the future, um, because it costs more for government to have elections that are in person, and because more and more Americans every election, and it's really gonna uh, intensify because of COVID, but even afterwards, they don't wanna go to the polling place. Finally, the technology will improve. It will get better. And eventually, eventually, we will be on the right side of things and not the wrong side of things. And I think we really need to get used to um, having online voting because eventually voting polling places are going to be far apart and very few. And so it's really going to get easier and easier to do it without going to the polls as opposed to going to the polls. So... That, that may not be a, you, you may like that or not like that, but I think that's what's going to be the future. I agree. This is like. Jeez, come on. Stupid thing. Hello. And do we have Doug Hall? Oh, hi. I can you hear me? We do have Doug. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Can hear you, okay. Doug. Okay. I have two or three things. I want. This has been a fantastic show, by the way. A lot of expertise. Uh, number one, voting is our right, but more important than our right, as far as I am concerned, and Gabriel, I know you agree with this, it is our responsibility as citizens for us to vote. And anyone who doesn't vote, I think, is is crazy. Um, I've always said, not at the table, you're on the menu, and I don't want to be on anybody's menu. <laughs> um, and, and second of all, you know, Jim mentioned earlier about it's important that we know people. I've been working with our supervisors here in Volusia for years. And um, thank you, Mike, for your demonstration, because actually our supervisor here has said that she is planning on doing a mock election in September to make sure all of us using the Omni system know exactly what we're doing so we can vote independently and intelligently in November. I think that's wonderful. Um, back to what Jim said, it's very important for us to know supervisors, our people, so they, and Lisa is happy to work with us. She's been fantastic. She wants to do it. She's working to do it. And she's using us as her experts. She goes to us if she has any questions. It's very important for people to get involved 
and talk with their supervisors um, to make sure that they're they're doing what they need. Thanks, Doug. Thank you for, for sharing your expertise. I know you, we all know you and Nancy have also been great advocates and have been tirelessly working for accessibility well, and access in general. Actually, I started voting in when I turned 21 was the age you had to be to vote at the time. And I voted every year since 1968. Wow. I feel, I feel it's critical that we vote. Um, it is. You know, I have a quick question for Clark. And maybe you were going to bring this up anyway, but uh, ACB has a website that has a lot of valuable information about accessible voting in it. Um, do you happen to know that address? What a great question there, Michael. <laughs> uh, that address is very easy to remember. It is acb.org slash voting. And we launched that website during the conference and convention. Uh, if if you had asked me a, a year and a little bit ago when I joined ACB um, how much work we would be doing on accessible voting, I would have had no idea how to respond. And uh, the past year and three months, five months has been a, a whirlwind. You know, we started speaking with the Secretary of State in West Virginia. Around this time was our first meeting last summer. And they worked collaboratively with us because they, they did not like the, they knew they had a problem, let's just put it that way. And they wanted to work with us to find a solution to that problem. And they, the Secretary of State in West Virginia is a Republican. The Speaker of the House and President of the Senate are Republican. The Governor, Republican. And it was the, the first bill they passed um, at the end of January, beginning of February. Um, many other states that are Democratic states are seeking to expand absentee voting and remote absentee voting. Um, the District of Columbia, for example, held hearings and implemented an accessible absentee voting system. Um, so this is this is not a a partisan issue. It is it's about ensuring the rights of citizens. And I just want to say first, thank you to everyone for sharing your perspectives in your experience from being in this fight. I mean, Doug, just as a voter, you've been in this fight since 1968, so thank you. Well, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so acb.org slash voting, that is the accessible voting toolkit on the website. And we tried to lay it out so that voters could gain um, a background into the understanding of the federal laws behind uh, voter rights and disability voting rights all the way up through the ADA and HAVA. Um, but then also from there provide many uh, valuable resources, not just from the, you know, the Department of Justice perspective, um, but there will be folks who, who do want to vote in person, even this year, even yeah. with COVID. It's a, it's a yeah. right that Many folks have fought long and hard for, and they want to be seen. They want to be out there, um, you know, loud and proud in their polling place. So you caught me, Clark. <laughs> yeah, there I'm you go. That I'm going to break. Over. Get, yes. get another sticker for his door. <laughs> <laughs> I will. 
but there are there are concerns and there's thought that need to go into how can we even safely vote in person and in many jurisdictions transportation doesn't look the same the our regular polling places aren't the same um just this week the state of maryland is talking about closing the the traditional polling sites and using the public high schools and just having massive voting centers Part of that's because they don't have the poll workers to man the polling stations, but also they want to have a large enough central facility that meets the requirements of HAVA and the ADA in terms of physical access, but also a large enough space that they can follow CDC guidelines and guidelines Mm -hmm. from the Election Assistance Commission on how to maintain proper distancing and clean every other poll, you know, have every other uh, polling machine or area to fill out a ballot uh, being used at a time and when those aren't in use to be cleaning them in between voters. Um, so there's there's a lot that polling workers have to do. I, I don't envy them this year, but there's also a lot that we as individuals need to do to understand the voting options in our states, in our jurisdictions, to take personal responsibility for our safety and to figure out what system will work best for us. I, it's actually on a, an NPR interview, I think yesterday, where one of their guests said, even if you don't think you're going to vote absentee, if your state's deadline is approaching, go ahead and mm-hmm. request the absentee ballot. You don't necessarily yep. have to use it, but it could be a good option you know, to have in your back pocket if election day rolls around and the state of the virus um, you know, it, yep. it could be accelerating or worsening where you are. And maybe you decide that this year you want to vote absentee. Well, good thing you've registered absentee and you have that ballot at hand. But likewise, if things are looking pretty good in your area, numbers are down, um, things are opening up and you feel safe and comfortable to vote in person, then just set that absentee ballot aside and, you know, put on your tie and your top hat and go vote in person and get that mm-hmm. sticker. Mm-hmm. Get your sticker. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, before you and oh go ahead. Oh, and I was just gonna say also included on the ecb.org slash voting, uh, we try to provide a you know a running list of news releases, press releases, um, to keep folks informed of the work that our affiliates and our members are doing. So you can stay up to date um, with any news that's coming out of New York with the case going there or the press release mm-hmm. from the great work in Florida and the news that Virginia, North Carolina filed suit. And it, it slipped by me, but uh, we had members in Tennessee who were involved with getting accessible absentee voting in Tennessee in the month of July. So we'll be sure to add that to the website as well. And then before I, I turn it over to Gabriel here, I'll just add, um, if you're not finding something you need, and you, you would like in more information, or if there's something that, we, that the national office can help you with, I'd say reach out to advocacy at acb.org. Again, that's advocacy at acb.org via email. And either Claire Stanley and I will get back in touch with you. Um, and if you haven't been in touch with your state affiliate, I highly recommend that, or we're happy to, to help connect you with your state affiliate to find out what other work is going on for accessible voting in your state. This is Lynn. I say, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Lynn. I wanted to say one of the things that I totally agree with Jim about, and I, Jeff too, I think, but Jim especially, is the relationships that you have to build in any advocacy effort. 
because uh, one of the things that Alaska did, which I don't really see anybody else doing in the states, is we had a legislative dinner. Because we had the legislative dinner in October 20, uh, 2001, that was when we got a, an accessible voting machine uh, brought to us, demonstrated. There were some legislators in the room, and that's how we got the legislators to support our initiative. Thanks. Thanks. That's what we're looking for. Practical hey, tips. Everyone. So, actually, yes, I was going to announce that you're here. Um, so uh, before before I give it over to the <laughs> to the host of on the well, edition, I don't. My love, I don't know how much time I'm going to have because we're going in and at the service. Oh, we... So I've heard maybe a thank you so much for a great conversation and for taking that one this week. Gabriel, you guys are doing a great job. Clark, thank you. Jim. Uh, Mike, Lynn, Artis, um, everybody, I'm sorry, but uh, thank you so much yeah, for a great show. Terrible. I'll send some thank yous out when I get to New York. Thanks, Anthony. And thanks for jumping in. Um, I've, I, Before I, I, like I said, turn it over for Clark and Cheryl to uh, moderate and, 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 and try to help us kind of uh, organize a little bit of good takeaways for, for those of us uh, who are newbies in the arena. Um, I wanted to, uh, I don't know if Sheila is still on. I wanted to, if, Sheila, if you're still on, if you can unmute yourself, I just wanted to recognize you as the president of FCB during such a monumental time. I know that uh, Mr. Jim carried uh, <laughs> the, the dirty legal work, but uh, you as president um, are, are presiding this organization during a very, 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 important and monumental time for all of us uh, blind voters in the state of Florida. So if you're on and you want to share your feelings and thoughts on how it is to be presiding at CB during such an important time, please. If not, uh, Sheila, feel free to jump in from here up until before the end of the show. And um, Clark, Cheryl, um, I would, you know, welcome you to uh, take it away and have uh, our panelists answer some some practical questions for our listeners and for like I said for us who are just getting getting our feet wet in this whole process. Um, so so this is Cheryl and I want to say this has been like an amazing experience. There's been so much uh, positive experience, uh, you know, information shared, and I I hope folks who are listening are going to take away the not only information about the variety of options for accessible voting, um, but also an, uh, an information that there's an, a space and, and opportunities for everyone to get involved. So this is not something you want to defer just to the leaders of your organization. This is obviously uh, an effort that really calls on all of us to get involved and to get involved in whatever way we, we think. I mean, we've heard people talk here about, um, you know, working with their legislatures. Uh, we've heard people talk about getting involved um, locally with your, your Department of Elections, uh, getting involved um, with your Secretary of State, um, and and I I would encourage anybody because I you know if there aren't entities that are already set up 
to give folks with disabilities an opportunity to be uh, involved in the voting system. I think, you know, be bold, you know, uh, our, our, our representatives work for us. Our city councilor people, they work for us. So, you know, be bold and maybe this is the time you insist that there needs to be a task force set up or there needs to be something established that, that gives you those, that opportunity to make sure that, that voices are heard and that people with disabilities and those of us who are blind, that we have an opportunity to give direct feedback on systems that are being proposed. Um, and I, I think, you know, we talked here about a uh, possible future where it might just all be um, accessible online voting. And, and even that's true, as we're transitioning to wherever we're going, I think we have to insist that there's always an accessible option, be it that we're going in person or that it's going to be online or something else. You know, let's make sure that uh, folks with disabilities, folks who are blind, that we're not the afterthought. We're not like, oh, goodness, we created it. And oh, yeah, we didn't think about you. Um, so, so I think, and, and then the last thing I'd like to say is um, <clears throat> make sure you're registered to vote because <laughs> that, that, that uh, not being registered negates all of this. So whatever system exists within your own state to find out if you're registered to vote, please take advantage of that and, and make sure that you're registered to vote. And then, you know, tell, tell people around you, you know, that as, as I think, um, Gabe, as you probably know from marketing, one of the most uh, influential influencers uh, are people we know. So if, if you, yeah, word you know, of mouth. register to vote, go tell other people and help your friends, help your family members, make sure that, that they too are registered to vote. If I can and jump not in one more time before yeah. I lose service. One of the reasons that I really wanted to have this show done and, and of course wanted to, you know, bring everybody together is you never know when the opportunity is going to open up and things are going to move very quickly. And as Jim said earlier, and, and I think it's been said a couple of other times today, in and out, like I said, I've been listening as much as I can. You, a lot of times things will get stalled and it feels like you're getting nowhere. And then out of nowhere, things start moving and moving rapidly. So, you know, as long the squeaky wheel gets gets the oil and as long as we all collectively continue to raise our voices and continue to keep this in the forefront, we'll see some movement. There's been a lot of great information today. So, guys, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. This is Artis. I wanted, I wanted to mention again uh, checking to make sure you're registered to vote. In many mm -hmm. states, they dump registrations out if you mix an election. So if you've missed any election um, in the last four years, you need to double check and make sure you're still registered. Because sometimes people skip an election and think it's not a big deal. But it is because uh, voting rolls are uh, dumped based on whether you Audio. vote. This is Michael. This is Michael and perhaps Michael Malver. This was perhaps covered 
in the voting boot camp. But I think for the last few minutes, I, I want to ask a question. And I, I'm sorry if I'm taking over, but I think this is so important. Um, those of us on the panel, I think, are used to talking to our legislators and our elections officials. But there might be people on the call for whom talking to a legislator uh, legislator is really daunting um, just because they perceive them as someone in power or whatnot. Um, I am wondering if we could just brainstorm. So you're going to your legislature and you want to give them a message. What is the message? What are the bullet points that listeners can go to their legislatures to their representatives and give? Um, oh. uh, and I, maybe I we think, can just each take time going with this. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this is Cheryl. And I think the first thing you say to them is hello, representative, blah, blah, blah. I voted for you last time and I really want to be able to do it again. <laughs> and, 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 and trust me, that will grab their attention. They will start to listen. Um, and, and then I think, um, you talk about, you know, how people who are blind vote. Um, you talk about, again, you know, just keep reiterating that you are somebody who's involved. You want to make sure that your vote counts and that you need this particular thing to happen. So that, that's my, and, and I think it's, it's, there's value in writing out a little script yes. even before you make your call. Right. So, so that actually, that's what I'm trying stumbling. to get at, is to have us kind of make that little script here. Yeah, so, so, so my, my first thing is you introduce your, so I'll start off. I think you okay. introduce yourself and you say good morning or whatever, um, and, then, and then you let them know that you're one of their constituents, that you voted mm -hmm. for them and you want to vote for them again. This is Lynn. One of the issues that we brought up at the time was about, especially to the Republican people, was freedom. Voting is a right. It's about freedom. And that's what we would start to say. You know, this is really our, our, our freedom to vote. And we would like to vote like anybody else could vote. And that really resonated with some of the Republican legislators. One of the things this I try to... Gabe. Go ahead. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm just going to, uh, that's a very good question, Michael, and, and um, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity uh, that I'm uh, going to share something uh, with, with everyone today, and I'm going to address a couple of things. First, uh, to what um, has been said before and uh, what um, artists and Cheryl were talking about voter registration and Jim and, well, many others here on this call have been talking about voter registration. I sometimes, sometimes I think my friends want to hate or strangle me because one of the first things that I tell them or I ask them to do when they tell me, they call me with the big news, oh, I'm moving. And as soon as they're settled and they moved in, <laughs> and the first thing I ask them, did you change your domicile? Did, did you register to vote in your new address? Yep. Um, and if, if they have a housewarming party, one of the things I'll, you know, I'll take a little bottle of wine and then I'll take a voter registration form. And I'll make it fill, fill, make them fill it out right there in front of me, and uh, I, I'm, I'm super gung ho about that. So that's one thing. Uh, be, be, be that naggy uh, <laughs> voter or voter registration wizard uh, in your family and and friends circle. Um, the other thing to answer Michael's question, I know, um, you know, we're 
kind of running short on time, but I want to hear everyone's uh, tips and advices. Uh, ACB has, um, as everyone knows, um, our legislative seminar, which uh, our leadership meetings in DC in February, the last weekend of February of every year. Hopefully, uh, depending on the state of health situation, we will have it again in person in 2021. Um, there's a lot of good info that comes from the leadership meetings and the uh, legislative seminar in terms of talking to uh, your representatives and legislators. And uh, I'm going to uh, put in a, a plug, and that's going to be my, my last uh, intervention of the day because time is running very short. Um, we, uh, as BPI, as one of the affiliates of ACB, we have been having the honor of collaborating with Tony Stevens and uh, some other folks up in Washington from the ACB main office in a storytelling boot camp. And Michael, this is to answer your question. Please, please, please follow um, the notifications and the uh, messaging that's going out in terms of the boot camp, because that's the idea. The storytelling boot camp is uh, to help folks in ACB and in the blindness community in general to learn how to craft your stories, your personal stories in a way that they can be effective and they can be placed in front of a legislator, in front of media, in front of anyone, and they will cause an impact and they will affect change. So please follow our storytelling bootcamp. We're going to have part two shortly. And with that, I'm going to let you guys uh, continue with the brainstorming. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll all learn a little bit more from practical tips and, and, and tricks on how to affect change in front of our legislators and representatives. I just wanted to add here that um, telling your story is important. I'm a lawyer by trade, and so when I get up to testify before uh, the legislature or a committee, I'm always have my prepared remarks, and they're designed to capture everybody's attention. Uh, I recently had a group of uh, local affiliate members uh, sit in for me because I couldn't attend a committee member meeting. And one of the most effective things that happened at that meeting was one of our members who is 92 years old got up and gave one of the most moving telling from the vest pocket presentations that you could ever imagine. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be fancy. It has to be from the heart. And if you can get up and talk from the heart, I don't care who you are. You can do that. You can be moving. You can be inspirational. But tell your story and make it practical, make it meaningful, and be heard. Yay. Yeah. Anyone else with practical this, tips on how to be heard? Go ahead. And this is Clark. Um, certainly voting with COVID right now is the crisis of the day. And like Winston Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the national office, we're starting to look even beyond. Okay, so the general election comes here in the fall of 2020. Um, but I, I think sharing these stories is going to be very important to keep this issue on that front burner beyond the fall, beyond 2020. So I'm also curious to hear if folks have ideas about how we can keep voting access, you know, not just in every two-year or in every four-year issue, but how we can keep this front of mind for our policymakers. This is great. I know that there are a lot of local races and people should really, you know, like, like everybody said, uh, 
local is where everything happens. So I think if people really take advantage of understanding their local issues, like Doug was saying, like Jim was saying, and also uh, tell their stories, like also Jim was saying, because if you do tell your story from the heart, your own life experience, like I'm learning in my PhD program, that really resonates with with people who don't know what being a blind person who doesn't have the right to vote is all about. Also, this is... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to mention that also transportation is a big issue. And now with the COVID-19, they're cutting many transportation systems. So I think we really have to... a talk to our local officials because it does make the process a lot more difficult when people can't use public transportation to go voting, to go do use services, etc. So it's very important to keep those local officials aware of what's happening in your community. So this is Jeff, and I don't know how practical of a suggestion this is, and maybe you've already considered it, but a lot of um, state disability rights uh, you know, protection advocacy entities have um, like their own uh, 800 numbers and emails that people can call into to tell their voting stories. Maybe ACB should have, you know, both an 800 number and a- an email so that people on the day of or after the election right afterward can tell those stories and we can collect them for, you know, to be used subsequently. Well, I guess I lied when I said that was my last plug-in, but <laughs> I know Anthony has been uh, working with uh, Tony and uh, Clark and Claire and Kelly Gask up in the uh, main office. Uh, and uh, and there is, uh, and we do have a blog, and I, and I'm, and I would uh, uh, just encourage everyone to do what Jeff just said and then submit your, your blog entries. And... Uh, if those of you who haven't checked it out, uh, visit um, acbvoices.org. And there's a lot of uh, very, very compelling stories, including, uh, I believe, a piece by Jim Crott there regarding everything that just happened here in Florida. So with that being said, in the last, we have uh, roughly two minutes. I would urge everyone to just go around and, and just say probably in five words <laughs> uh, your best practical tip for voters out there uh, with disabilities, especially the blind community, what to do and and what to expect. And anyone who wants to go, go, please. I'll go and say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Clark stole my line, but it's a great line. And remember it, be heard, be out there and be vocal. And I'll just say that legislators do listen to voters. They really do. Because Mike, yeah. And I'll, just say, and I'll just say, get in their face and don't let up, because unless you do, unless they know your issues, they're not going to do anything. Yeah, advocacy is key. Advocate. Uh, no, if, you're somebody, if you're somebody who doesn't want to go to a polling place because of safety concerns and who doesn't want to fill out an absentee ballot by having someone else mark them, call your legislator and let them know that you are put in a position where you would love to vote for them, but you physically cannot unless you have an accessible vote. Remember, policymakers and officials are people first, and they they really like warm fuzzies. So it's good to start by thanking them for all they have done for us, even if they haven't. 
<laughs> very, very, very good. Yep. Start off positive. Well, I thank agree. you all. This has been an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation. I'm sure Anthony will prepare another round of uh, voting once we get closer to November. But remember, like has been said here, voting is not a right. It's our duty. And it's like Mr. Crod said, a very, very powerful of change affecting tool that we have probably the most powerful and Gabe just to add on to that join Cheryl Cummings tomorrow evening 7 30 east coast time for a community event for another voting conversation and check out this week's advocacy update podcast which will be focused on accessible voting as well you've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday. Mm-hmm.